Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blog cast. This is episode 143, which is kind of a funny number because I can't think of anything that is 143. So there, surely there must be some significance to this poor number, but I do not know what it is. Today's blog is going to look at some arts education. Again, it's been a little while since I talked about arts education, mostly because I mostly quit all those jobs. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've been hearing some stories and thinking about, um, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> That's really the, the long and the short of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm just going to dive right in because it's kind of a long one. Um, and it is called who is this arts education experience for? Having spent a couple of decades in arts education, in a multitude of schools, through a dozen or so arts organizations, I've had occasion to wonder who it's all for. Maybe it seems obvious. It's for the kids, of course. It's for the students. Except when it's really not. I'll give you some examples. This first one happened recently to a musician I know. A group of kids came in for a musical theater workshop and their chaperones pulled out some high-end cameras and microphones and began weaving in and out of the students who were trying to learn a song. The musician suggested to the grown-ups that having a safe camera-free space to make mistakes would be beneficial to the learning process. The chaperone said, no, but I'm trying to get some footage of their growth, so this is great for me, and kept filming. Who was this workshop really for? Oh, or this one. Let's say you're putting on a play, and you cast little Jimmy to play the lead. But Jimmy is very quiet. You can't hear Jimmy when he says his lines. When you tell Jimmy to speak up, the problem does not improve. And Jimmy's not the only one you can't hear. So you get a sound system and a bunch of mics. Jimmy has his very own lavalier. And Jimmy, because he has a mic now, gets quieter. So the sound guy has to pump the system up all the way just so people can hear Jimmy. But then the kids can't hear the band, so they miss most of their cues. Who is this for? What has Jimmy learned? He certainly hasn't learned how to project his voice or even how to use a microphone. The audience, sure, has a better chance of hearing Jimmy now, however out of sync with the band he is, and the administration can rest easier knowing they've invested some money in making the students heard. But none of that was for Jimmy's education. Over and over, I've watched adults twist themselves into knots trying to put on a good show. They invest their own artistic aspirations into the students' work and do whatever it takes to get something polished on stage. This is never going to happen. Your students aren't that good. They're not going to put on a Broadway quality show no matter how much you yell at them. I'm sorry to break it to you, but your students are probably not good. Yet. And once you realize that student work is not there to be good, you can start to tune into what it is there to do. 
It's there to give the students an opportunity to learn. They will learn something in the process of putting on a show, no matter how it happens. But if what they're primarily learning is how to please their director, they are not having the richest possible learning experience. Putting on a school play is valuable for so many reasons. The opportunities for learning and discovery are endless, really. But for me, to me, privileging the production over the student's learning is getting in the way of the best opportunities. One of those opportunities is failing at it. If you, for example, don't learn your lines as well as you're supposed to, and then you go out on stage and forget them, that is an excellent lesson you just learned. For me, the most potent part of every theatrical experience in education is when the students unpack all the things they wish they'd done better. That's learning in action. But in my experience, most people who put on plays in schools are much more concerned with how the play looks than how the students are learning in it. They are worried about how it will look or sound to administrators, to parents, or to funders. School plays and concerts and presentations and so on are, nine times out of ten, not really for the people putting them on, but some authority that their teacher, director wants to impress. And the reality is you're probably not going to be able to change that. But it can be helpful to name it as it's happening, to be clear that you're getting a sound system for the principal because she gets so cranky when she can't hear students, or to be clear with your students that you're spending time on light cues that you could have spent rehearsing because the school board decides the funding based on these shows and they need all the bells and whistles. That's who the show is for, then. It's an audition for the school board budgetary committee, not a learning experience. And knowing that can sometimes make engaging in those parts a little easier. You can yell at the students to be louder for the principal and do some character exercises for their growth. Personally, I'd prefer a theater program that allows for discovery and failure and learning, but most programs aren't built that way, which is, frankly, one of the reasons why I moved away from arts education. Before I go completely, I want to share a chapter of a book on teaching Shakespeare that I've been working on. It speaks to this question of who it's for and what exactly you're doing when you work on Shakespeare through performance. It's something I clarified while teaching graduate students in education, and as far as I know, it's a distinction that no one's making, and a distinction I think is crucial at this point in the field's development of Shakespeare education. The text is on my Shakespeare website, and there is a direct line between this post and that chapter. If this topic speaks to you, particularly if you are an arts educator, click on over. But meanwhile, even if you are not an educator, this perspective on learning might be useful when you go and see student work. Parents, for example, can be important advocates for more student-centered work. Or, at the very least, you can avoid complaining about not being able to hear little Jimmy. Remember, the show is for Jimmy's learning, not for you. So I have been trying to figure out whether I wanted to record this chapter for you here because uh, it's harder to click through on a podcast. That's a thing they should really figure out how to do is just like make it like so you can be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, so I think I'm going to just go ahead and read it to you just in case you want to hear it. Um, I was worried this might be too long, and it might be. If you want to skip this chunk on Shakespeare and teaching and directing, uh, feel free. The song will be at the end. There's, it's about three and a half minutes long, that song. So if you skip to three and a half minutes before the end, you can just go straight to the song. But meanwhile, if you are interested in um, hearing this chapter on teaching Shakespeare, here it is. Teaching versus directing. For decades now, the Folger Shakespeare Library has played a tremendously important role in changing how Shakespeare is taught in this country and beyond. Through the education department's efforts, more and more teachers have come to understand the benefits of working on Shakespeare through performance. Every year, there seem to be more teachers who want to integrate theatrical exploration with the text. This is fantastic news. It means Shakespeare teaching gets more vibrant every day. However, I have noticed in my many trips around this brave new world a point of confusion about what teaching performance means. I think the fundamental confusion is the difference between directing Shakespeare and teaching Shakespeare. Here's how I see the difference. Directing Shakespeare is usually what your principal wants you to do for your spring recital. Directing Shakespeare is what's required when you want a polished piece of work to show off to your trustees. Directing is for the parents. Teaching, on the other hand, is for the students. It happens from the bottom up instead of coming from the top. It allows students to learn how to think creatively and critically. Creating space for them to make their own decisions allows them to invest more thoroughly, to claim more authority, and to make choices. Teaching Shakespeare means giving the students the skills and tools they need to embrace the words on the page, to tackle difficult text, and know they did it themselves. In a lot of ways, Shakespeare teaching at its best is a relinquishing of control. This is very difficult for a lot of teachers and directors, especially when they're expected to deliver a polished product of a performance. Many teachers will abandon the teaching portion altogether in that scenario and tell themselves that having students memorize a chunk of iambic pentameter will be sufficiently educationally meaningful. And it might be a bit. Many an adult can still recite a chunk of text he had to learn as a child. But the skills of engaging with all of the work, of making decisions about it, understanding it inside and out from one's own self, are not only richer and more meaningful, but will also apply to many other things. A student who played Desdemona in her school play may always remember Desdemona's lines. But a student who staged, edited, made informed artistic decisions about and played Desdemona will have much richer memories. These memories and skills will help her appreciate seeing other work in the future and perhaps carry over into other realms of life. The best education has a student-centered process at the center. Making this distinction between teaching and directing is a little bit sticky simply because of the great variety of both. 
For example, my own directing style isn't particularly directive, and I've known many teachers who teach like directors. But in order to clarify these tracks of purpose, it is helpful to delineate these two jobs. Teaching Shakespeare is about creating contexts and structure and situations that allow students to engage with Shakespeare's words, to discover the play, to take hold of it and make it their own. Directing Shakespeare is about getting the students to fit into a particular idea about the play, outside of themselves. Now, I do not deny that a great deal of learning can come from being directed. One can learn how to take direction and receive feedback, for example, which tend to be useful skills in life. Directing students to do what you want them to do is a top-down model. Much of the Shakespeare education I see here in New York ends up being directing rather than teaching. This means I hear a lot of, what? I can't hear you. Speak up. Go slower. Be more angry when you say that. Which means that what we're really teaching here is simply how to follow directions, or at best, projection. It's not really Shakespeare that's being taught. Teaching Shakespeare means creating a context for students to discover their own way through the words, for engaging with the words and making them their own. There might come a point in your process when teaching becomes directing, and that's perfectly all right. I find, though, that it's helpful to acknowledge what you're doing, to even be transparent with your students and say, I was teaching before and now I will be directing. If you want to make this transition at the end of your process, that is, if you want to start directing your students because you need to make a good impression on your principal or the school board or whatever, here are some tips for negotiating that. One, be clear that that's what's happening. Otherwise, your students will be confused about your sudden change in personality. Two, learn about directing. It's not as simple as making everyone face front and be louder. There are many things that rookie directors try that they think will work and simply don't. Giving line readings, for example. That's when you say to an actor, say it like this, and then you demonstrate. It's tempting to do this, but it almost never has the desired effect. And actors hate it. Even student actors. My top recommendation is John Jory's tips ideas for directors, followed by Katie Mitchell's The Director's Craft or Anne Bogart's A Director Prepares. Three, consider the timing of your direction. There are things you can suggest to an actor a week away from performance that you can't tell them the day before. The day before is the time to say, it's great, just go louder and faster or slower, and if something falls on stage, pick it up. Often, when I have been brought into a classroom, teachers have expected me to play a directing role. They'll ask me to tell the students what they're doing wrong. They'll want me to give them notes. I can absolutely do this, and often do, but it's a delicate operation. Even in my own directing work, I choose carefully what I say to an actor and when. The day before a performance, it's too late to tell them their character choices need to change. It's actually too late to give them most of the suggestions you might have. Directing sometimes means not saying something. It sometimes means planting a seed that will develop into something interesting. I see it as giving them something to play with. 
On a personal level, I have no interest or desire in having students fulfill my vision of a play. I save that for my own process and my own company. When I teach, I want to uncover my students' vision of a play. That's what teaching means to me. I am not generally directive, even as a director with professionals, but I understand the value of being directive. I understand why it happens. For a lot of people in charge of a group of students, it feels like it's the only way. I see lots of teachers telling their students exactly what they need to do and then getting frustrated at the student's inability to execute an order. The thing to consider is how many elements are at play in the Jenga puzzle of performance. It's not like telling students to capitalize proper nouns and correcting them every time they forget. Not everyone can do what you imagine every time. Some can take only so much information at once. A lot of students I've met have trouble moving and speaking at the same time. They're not willfully refusing to take your direction. They just can only process so much at once. I have found that teachers tend to get anxious and start directing students when they get worried about how another adult is going to judge them. Will they think, I don't know that the name is usually pronounced Hermia? These kids are calling her Hermia. I know the Folger suggests letting the kids find their own pronunciation, but I'm going to look like a fool. I have been in this situation myself. My direct supervisor at one arts organization I worked for, one which brought in Folger education programs, ironically, leaned over to me during one student rehearsal she was observing and declared, her name is pronounced Hermia. Mm-hmm. Is it? One of the pitfalls of Shakespeare education is its long history. There has, historically, been quite a bit of posturing and exclusion in the way Shakespeare has previously been taught. There's a long history of it must be done this way, spoken this way, and only the most elite are allowed to get their hands on it. One of the reasons I am such a fan of the Folgers' educational leadership in the field is that beating heart of their philosophy that Shakespeare is for everyone. Part of the reason we turn over the work of discovery to the students is that they make it their own. I could tell students what to do all day long, but it would only ever be my Shakespeare. When I let them discover it, they make it theirs. My favorite example of this is from when I was working with a class of Spanish-speaking sixth graders on A Midsummer Night's Dream. The group working on the fairies looked at the text for the lullaby and understood it was a song. But they were unfamiliar with the word lullaby, so in their scene, the fairies joyfully sang the word the way they saw it, with a soft Y sound where the two L's stood. I can, to this day, sing you the lullaby section as Luya, 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 be. If I'd come along and corrected them, said, no, 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 it's pronounced lullaby. It's a song to help people go to sleep. There would be no jubilant luyabi, and that would have been a great loss as far as I'm concerned. 
But when we start to worry about what others think, if we start to worry that our principals or board or parents will decide we don't know what we're doing, that's when we think, I better quit with this letting them discover the play stuff and start telling them what to do. That's when we're most likely to start directing, and that's when the shouting starts. And then Shakespeare gets a lot less fun for all of us. And there are no Luya bees. Deep dive on Shakespeare education, my friends. <laughs> Did you stick with me? I hope so. Uh, or actually, if it wasn't for you, it's totally fine. Um, I just thought maybe it, it would help make that chapter more accessible to anyone who wanted to read it. Um, and uh, why not? Mostly, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not sure... I, I, it's funny to like write with the idea of like being like helpful. <laughs> like usually I'm writing like I'm mad about something and he, here it is. And it's a, it's a different drive like behind the, I don't know, it's like a different energy. And I feel like, oh my God, this needs a lot of work. Um, but the thing is I realized, you know, I've, I've got other chunks of this book kind of conceived of but it's not like fun writing, right? <laughs> like, and I realized like, oh, I'm, I'm never gonna publish this book, even though it might be useful to a handful of people, unless somebody is like, you know what? I really want your book. I wanna publish your book. I mean, I'd write it then for sure, but if that, barring an event like that, I think it's unlikely that this book will come to uh, fruition. Just because there's not, I don't have a lot of motivation to to do it because um, it's not fun <laughs> and you know no one's going to read it uh, unless it has a, a sort of context uh, but yeah but this ch chapter in particular I feel like this idea was particularly helpful to my students when I teach the teaching Shakespeare class um, so I figure there are other people who probably need it too in which case, might as well just make it available. And if for some reason it kicks off a possibility of the book going somewhere, awesome. If it doesn't, then it exists in these two places, right? It exists on my website, exists in this podcast episode, and anybody who needs it can have it. That's, that's that. Um, so uh, if you would like to uh, support the blog, the blogcast, podcast, whatever, um, you can go to patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. Um, also on Ko-fi and PayPal. And i um, happy to hear from you in any of those places. Um, join my website mailing list. Uh, go to emilyrainbowdavis.com just put your name in there. I have yet to send a message to that mailing list. So, um, you know, it's not a lot of emails. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that's all. So this song, I, I, um, I wrestled with which one to put here. Um, this was not my first thought, but when I did think of it, I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> um, so this is a 38 special, um, this is a song called Teacher, Teacher. 
since this is a, mostly a post about education and teaching, I thought it would be fun. Um, and Teacher, Teacher was the theme song or the, yeah, the theme song, I guess, for a movie called Teachers, which I don't think I saw. Uh, I think I was too young when this movie came out, um, but it looked like lots of fun. I don't know if it actually is. Um, but yeah, this song is, is, uh, is 38 special, which is I, it's just kind of amusing to me that I'm singing you a 38 special song. If you Google their video, you'll, you'll be like, right. <laughs> That's a whole, it's a whole other thing. It's like not my usual jam. Um, so in any case, I hope that you enjoy 38 specials, teacher, teacher. Just when I thought I finally learned my lesson well There was more to this than meets the eye If for all the things you taught me, only time will tell If I'll be able to survive Oh yeah, teacher, teacher, can you teach me? Can you tell me all I need to know? Teacher, teacher can you reach me? Or will I fall when you let me go? Oh no. Am I ready for the real world? Will I pass the test? You know that it's a jungle out there. Ain't nothing gonna stop me. I won't be second best. But the joke's on those who believe the system's fair. Oh yeah, teacher, teacher, can you teach me? Can you tell me if I'm right or wrong? Teacher, teacher, can you reach me? I wanna know what's going on. Oh yeah. Teacher, 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 teacher. 
teacher, 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 teacher.